Uh, His faithfulness is great. His fatherhood is perfect. Let us thank him that he's going to speak to us now. Our Lord and Father, uh, we thank and praise you uh, for the God you are, the God of faithfulness, the God of commitment and promise who never fails. Uh, Father, thanks that we see it so clearly at the cross and we're reminded as you come to your word, as you speak to us, and we ask that as we hear your voice now, uh, we'd see new mercies and we'd be refreshed in our service of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 8, Kerry read it, but have a look. 4 verse 8, there was a man all alone. Uh, and we, just reading that, even without the context, we immediately know it's a problem. Uh, and we know it on a day like today, don't we? Like a day like Father's Day, we know the joy for some of us of earthly fathers, but we also know the sadness, as Gav mentioned before, of earthly fatherhood that isn't all that we hoped for. Uh, the author of The Best of Friends, Phil Knox, writes this. He says, in 1950s America, there was a mystery in the small Pennsylvanian town of Rosetto. Uh, mortality rates were a third lower than the rest of the US. Heart disease was almost non-existent in otherwise high-risk groups. No one could work out why. Uh, water sources uh, were analysed, lifestyles examined. It wasn't their diet. Uh, wine, cigars and meatballs were all consumed with abandon. It wasn't the healthcare or the air quality. It was the relationships. Three to four generations lived under one roof. Neighbours had deep bonds of trust with one another. This town were the best of friends. It turns out the secret of eternal life is not what you know, but who you know. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The man all alone is in trouble. And many of us know it and have felt it and maybe you're here feeling it today. And so as we come and as we listen to God, uh, what I trust he'll do for our hearts is remind us not just of the goodness of company and relationship, but how, how indeed loneliness can be overcome, how he will meet that need. It's a simple truth as we look at Ecclesiastes. God gives company to bless life's vapour. Uh, Ecclesiastes is wisdom that we might navigate through a world of disruption, a a world where one plus one does not equal two. That's what we've been seeing over the last few weeks. Um, If you've just joined us, the the teacher's wisdom is built on essentially two pillars. Um, One pillar is that life under the sun, the life we observe, the life without God in the picture is vapour or the word we learned was hebel. You know, the the idea of outside of Christ um, there's good but you can't hold on to it. It's like the morning dew. And the other pillar is that there's no gain from life, that you make no impact, things just keep going on and on. Um, And he takes those two pillars, those two truths of observational wisdom and he applies them this time to all sorts of things, but this time to community and relationships and friendship. So 4 verse 8, Kerry read it, but look again more closely. There was a man all alone, he had neither son nor brother, no end to his toil and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. As without community, it's meaningless in the sense of vapour. It is good that doesn't last. It makes no difference. There's no kind of overflowing benefit from toiling away in lonely. The goodness of achievement actually gets washed away when there's no one to share it with. 
So, and God's wisdom, what he's going to do as we look in Ecclesiastes, he's going to shape us to be the community that we need. He, he's going to resource us to be the friends that we want. God gives company to bless life's vapour. We're going to look at it in three parts. They're not quite equal. The first one, the longest one, we need company. Two are better than one. Relationships are good. Community is God's gift to increase joy in what is a disrupted, disordered world. And so we need it in good times. So 4 verse 8 um, argues it from the negative. You know, the, the problem of loneliness, even when good things are going on, you've got good, successful work. But literally it says there, the man who has no second person. No second person. This is not just about marriage and children. It's having no second person in life. There's no one else. Without relationship, without community, the, the joys of um, work and wealth actually are lost. Now, 4 verse 9 argues the same from the positive, two are better than one. Um, company brings a good return for your work, for your effort. Um, partnership means that more is achieved, but the satisfaction is also greater when it's shared. Uh, wealth and work bring more joy when they are not the goal, when you're not kind of working for work's sake, you know, grabbing wealth for wealth's sake, but rather as means to serve relationship. So we need company in the good times. And we need company in the bad times too. Uh, verse 10 to 12, community transforms trouble. And he uses there a series of proverbs that were actually commonly known. He didn't make them up. Much like we have sayings like a problem shared is a problem halved. Well, the three-strand cord was a common illustration in his day of community's value. What he wants us to see is community is life-saving. Now, verse 10, uh, falling down and needing help, friend can pick you up. You know, pity the one with no help. Um, if you'll imagine, you know, that serious fall on the path with no passers-by in days before mobile phones, it can prove fatal. Uh, verse 11, you know, the need to lie down together for warmth. Again, um, picture their, their scenario, travelling home uh, in, you know, freezing nights, two dog nights, no motels, temperature drops, life, life is threatened. Uh, verse 12, uh, the implication of a bandit attack. Uh, likely leave you for dead. Uh, again and again, company is life-saving. But, you know, we know it, don't we? It's the principle underneath the Are You OK movement. Uh, in fact, in regional areas, I don't know if it hit Wollongong, we're kind of a city, we're kind of a region, but in proper regional areas, um, they had the campaign, Are You Bold? to build on it. That is, uh, are, are you willing to be vulnerable, take the first step and boldly share your worries, not wait for someone to ask you, Are You OK? Company is life-saving. And in verse 13 to 16, there's a little story that follows on, a little parable, a story of a foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning, has to, how to listen. A king with all the power, all the money, all the fame, and so much so he's isolated. He's so alone he won't listen to anyone, and if that's the case, it's better to be poor. As you need company, you know, relationship, that, that's God's gift to increase joy in this disrupted world. Um, it's not saying, of course, we need to be surrounded by people. You, know, you can live in a street with houses up and down. You can live in a block of flats. It's not the same as community. Um, you know, we, we call workplaces companies, you know, but working day in, day out with others is not the same as companionship. Uh, we need community. We need people with whom we share a purpose. That's what he's observing. So 4 verse 9, two are better than one because they labour together. They share a purpose. Uh, 4 verse 10, someone's there to pick you up 
you know, because they're already walking with you and walking together. That's the sign of common purpose, common ambition and goal. Um, same logic happens again and again in verse 11 and 12. You're only stronger as two or three when there's a common aim. You know, the person being you know, overpowered in verse 12, there are people around, it's just they're in opposition to him. You don't need lots of people, you need company with whom you share a purpose. Push further, we need friendship. Uh, biblically, uh, company, friendship has a moral element. Uh, a shared love and passion, shared values. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 63. Uh, it won't appear, you'll have to remember it. Psalm 119, verse 63. Lord, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. What's it saying? The, the, the glue of friendship is a common fear of the Lord, a common aim in life. That's what holds us together. Friendship has a, a moral framework that, that glues us together. That's why James 4.4 4 warns. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's right to show love to the world, gracious love. That's God, isn't it? You know, so love the world, he gave his only son, the world that turned against him. Love the world, but friendship implies we've got a shared interest, a, a uniting morality, a common passion. C.S. Lewis talks about friendship based not on matters of fact but on the fact you see the same truth. That friends come together uh, by honestly sharing ideas. Mitch, you'd be disappointed if I didn't get Lewis in on friendship. Yeah, you'd be gutted. Um, Lewis writes, um, Eros has naked bodies, friendship has naked personalities. That friendship doesn't ask, do you love me? as much as do you see the same truth? You know, that discovery of friendship in the moment where you go, you too, I thought I was the only one. You know, that, that, that lovers are face to face, but friends are side by side, absorbed in the common interest. That, that friends don't spend all their time talking about, you know, their friendship. They talk about their common passion. That's why it doesn't work to say, you know, go up to someone and say, oh, will you be my friend? Well, it works when you're four. Um, but if you search for friendship that way, you'll fail because you can't look at it directly. The condition for making friends is you want something other than the friend, that shared truth. You know, friendships don't work if you say to someone, you know, don't you love the finesse and the beauty and the simplicity and the power of rugby league? And they go, no, I'm not interested at all. You kind of go, I just, you know, I just want a friend. You go, well, no, there isn't. We don't have the common thing. Um, you know, those going nowhere can't share the journey. We need company to a better one. And so as it's set up there, seek company and friendship. Seek community. Uh, it might be strange for me to say that after just saying, you know, you can't go and search, you know, for friendship, it'll fail. What I mean, uh, and what the Bible means, is seek community and friendship is not a, a call to create it, but this invitation to actually nurture the community and friendship that God already gives. Work at staying close to those God has given you a purpose with, common purpose. At one level, it's called to invest in natural friends. Our friendship requires nurture, effort. It takes a lot of emotional energy to be a friend who does what Proverbs 27 verse 6 advises. Proverbs 27 6 um, talks about the wounds of a friend. There's actually love for their good. That's a lot of effort. It takes time to serve other people even when you have the joy of them serving you back. And you need to work it because no one else is going to compel you to do good friendship. Um, we are compelled to relate to family. You know, those going to Father's Day lunch, I hope it's a joy. It's a compulsion. Um, you have to be there. You weren't given a choice. Um, likewise, co-workers. 
You know, and when those kind of family and work get busy, it's church and friends who are going to get squeezed out. Uh, Lewis again nails it. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it's one of those things that gives value to survival. Now, we need to work at our friendships. Um, another level, it's the call to foster bonds with others at church. One of the, the beauties of church is it holds out the possibility for us all of um, unexpected, unusual friendships. Uh, in the past week or so, I've been in contact with folk from my previous church, uh, an eclectic mix. Uh, a younger man who's cerebral palsy means um, he's in a share house and he, he's never going to get employed. Uh, a woman in her 90s who recently moved to aged care whose husband's about to pass. Uh, a policeman who in his spare time is studying law. Uh, and another bloke who's approaching 80 who has a history of arrests and being in and out of prison. That is an eclectic mix. Uh, church holds the possibility of unexpected friendships. And, and at our best, what church can do is cut across class and age and race divisions because we share the most common, most important thing, Christ. But, but it still requires effort to make the possibility that Jesus creates a reality. It requires talking to the person at church who is not like you. Uh, we need company. Two are better than one. See the joy, the blessing of relationships. Um, seek community and friendship. But secondly, with that, uh, the company we have, tears of the oppressed aren't comforted. See, the, what do we see? We see a man all alone. The community we naturally create is not the blessing that we need. That's his observation. 4 verse 1, he sees oppression all around. Worse still, still in verse 1, I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter power is on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. Um, left to our own, without God in the picture, what we create um, is unjust, unjust, unfair communities. Those left alone. Uh, if you go a little later, chapter 5, verse 8, you don't have to change the page, but 5, verse 8 tells us, observe that and don't be surprised. 5, verse 8 and 9, um, ongoing systematic injustice, expect it. Uh, because the beneficiaries of power are the ones who will not change the system and relinquish their power. The, the king gains from injustice. And you read on in Ecclesiastes, um, just go over a page or two, chapter 8, verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 3 gives a little warning for us all. Um, talks about approaching the king and warns against standing up against the king because he's going to do whatever he pleases. In 8, verse 4, um, the king's word is supreme. Um, it's not... In those verses, defending the system is just pointing out the communities we create are cursed, advantaging some at the expense of others, and if you challenge it, it will cost. So yes, we need company, but the company we create is imperfect. And it's not just the system, it's not just out there, it's, it's us, it's you and me. So back in chapter 4, 4 verse 4, 4, 4 verse 4, opens up the problem in the system, the problem in us all. 4 verse 4, I saw that all toil and all achievement sprang from one person's envy of another. As communities are unjust, not because of the problem out there, but the problem in here. We're driven by envy of you know, me, me having what they want to have and me preventing others having what I have. And, and, and friendships fail not because of the system, but because of my self-interest. There is a reason the person, the man, is all alone. It's sin. So is it the, the company 
we have is curse, that tinge of selfishness in every relationship. And, and yes, the, the Bible outlines this matrix of causes of, of poverty and oppression and one commentator writes, whenever great disparities arose in Israel, the prophets assume that it's to some degree the result of selfish individualism rather than concern with the common good. That's the issue at the heart, isn't it? That our hearts don't create company that comforts tears. We are not the friends we want. We're not the friends we want to be. Uh, the help of this, the wisdom of this, is it helps us recognise the limits of community. So 5 verse 8 again, don't be surprised by oppression. Don't be surprised when people put their interests first and you're left all alone. Don't, don't be surprised when Alan Joyce leads Qantas. You know, in COVID they received $2.7 billion in taxpayer bailouts. They just returned that record $2.5 billion profit. Um, and his response to the call for Qantas to pay back is, oh, we'll, we'll pay an income tax, which is not paying back, that's paying what they earn later. Though, of course, in his 15 years as CEO, Qantas has received more from the tax office than they have been paid. They haven't paid tax under him, let alone the corruption. And Ecclesiastes says, don't be surprised. Recognising uh, the limits of our community is not saying, you know, don't push for justice. Envy is a sin. God is the defender of the poor, not the rich. Um, whether you vote yes or no in the voice referendum, it must flow from a heart committed to justice and a desire to love your neighbour at cost to yourself and not envy. So recognising our community's limits, what's the benefit? What's the gain of this wisdom? Well, it frees you from false hope. If you feel lonely, with none to comfort your tears, if you feel let down by company. If you've been failed by friends and even church, don't be surprised. You know, we read in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas falling out over whether they could take and work with Mark. Mark had let them down on a previous mission. I could have read of Paul openly rebuking Peter for um, you know, undermining the gospel of grace in Galatians 2, by the way, he withdrew from people. Even apostles fail. You and I aren't the friends we want. Don't be surprised. What God is doing by revealing this, exposing this, we know we need company, but he warns us not to pin our hopes for company in any person or group and not even yourself. See, as long as you, you look to people to be the complete company you need, you'll have tears. What we need is comfort from outside. And here's the third point. The third observation he makes, the company God gives. Christ offers to be your friend. Um, the secret of eternal life is not what you know, but who you know. God, God sees what's done under the sun. He observes and he acts to change it. He sees the envy in the hearts of humanity. He sees the failure, the loneliness, and he offers you and me friendship. Um, John 14 to 17, Jesus spends that night before he's arrested with his friends and he helps his disciples understand why he must die and he gives an insight into friendship. Uh, John 15, uh, greater love is known than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learnt from my father I have made known to you. He offers the friendship we need by suffering real loneliness. See, Jesus was the man all alone in the garden as his disciples fled. And if you look to the cross, what do you see? You see a man all alone, forsaken by the Father for your sin and mine, that he might restore us and bring us in to deal with the envy of our hearts. He is the friend that we need because he sees us as we really are and still loves you. He doesn't pull back and distance. 
So if you just consider for a moment your own relational circle, um, you'll know that, you know, you, know, you can imagine a little bit like, you know, like a bullseye. You know, on the outside there are those, you kind of, you know their names and you kind of, you know, vaguely are happy to say hello when you bump into them and then you move a little closer and there are, there are people you're kind of a little bit more affectionate with but, but not quite so intimate. And you get close to the centre and, and maybe some of us blessed with a close friend or two who really, who really gets you, you know, really understands you. Um, but Dane Ortland invites us to do an experiment like that and he says even through a, a brief thought experiment like that, ignites pockets of mental pain because some of us are forced to acknowledge that we do not have one true friend, someone who we could go to with any problem and we know we wouldn't be turned away. Who in our lives, he asks, do we feel safe with, really safe, safe enough to open up about everything? And he says, here is the gospel, here is the promise of the gospel, the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion who will embrace us and his embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken dependent on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as the declaration of his justification is objectively. As just as certain as he died on the cross to deal with your envy, he will embrace you rather than refuse you. And he invites us into a relationship, not as servants, but at the intimacy of equals. He entrusts himself to us that we know his mind, we know his plans and purposes he shares with us. He doesn't keep us in the dark. And the sign of friendship with him is that we reciprocate by obedience. That is, we start walking in the direction that he leads. We follow after him because friendship, all friendship is grown by mutual but not identical exchange. It's the same with God. We, we don't give our lives to save Christ and he doesn't obey our commands but we mutually exchange. Uh, and Jesus goes on to promise um, that the Holy Spirit, we sang of it before in the kids' talk, didn't we? That, you know, God united and here is God dwelling inside us, that we can join God's own perfect company. He invites us into the perfect friendship at great cost to himself. And what does that do for us? It transforms us. What does it do for us all? Well, it creates the possibility of real company. Build community grounded in God's company. See, it's been said, make Jesus the friend your heart desires and you will have all the friends your heart needs. So obeying Jesus, accepting his friendship actually changes everything. His, his friendship of, of undeserved love secures you when you fail. It overcomes your loneliness even in your worst moments. And it transforms you to, to go on and form friendships of undeserved love with those who failed you. Because secure in him, it can overcome the envy. You know, he, his company is therefore a building block for a new community. As the hymn puts it, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. You know, when he's taken the burden so that we don't have to kind of dump it on others, instead what we can do is draw on the security of his perfect friendship and be generous and be a faithful friend to others. That's why this gathering, our church, the church holds the possibility of being true company in a disordered world. That's why as you keep going back and you return to the scriptures and you keep going to the cross and you see that man all alone you and I become the company that others need. See, make Jesus the friend your heart desires and you will have all the friends your heart needs. Our relationships are a joy. Companies are a blessing. Two are better than one and there is nothing better, nothing more transforming than knowing and being known by Christ that he might call you friend. Let me pray.
Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is willing to be abandoned, forsaken, all alone, that he might overcome our loneliness. We thank you for his willingness to see the envy of our hearts, the brokenness of our relationships, the way our world functions, and not keep far off, but enter in, that he might call us into a greater friendship, into real company, satisfying relationship. And Father, we ask that each one of us would know the friendship of Christ this day and always. In his name we pray. Amen.